Amen. Well, thank God for the blood of Jesus that lifts out the old dirty stains of sin. Well, I want to take, ask you to take your Bible tonight and join me, if you will, in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 4, and we're right at the end of the book tonight, the last two or three verses here, three or four verses I'd like to read as we conclude this series of messages from the book of 2 Timothy. If you'll locate your place there, page number 1282, or the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 4. While you're finding your place there, I do just want to say a couple of more things about Sunday. The first thing I'd like to say is just remind you, and of course I think and we trust our people here, but I just want to remind you that if you... Uh, have been exposed to somebody that has the COVID-19 or if you yourself are sick or you've been running a fever, please, by all means, stay at home. Don't attempt to come to church like that because we don't want to risk uh, the, uh, uh, take upon ourselves the risk of infecting others in case that may be the case, that you have that. I think, I think folks know that, but I just want to say, please, please, please stay at home if you don't feel well. Don't attempt to come to church like that. If you need to take your temperature before you arrive or whatever, that would be great. But just, if you will, and out of concern for others and respect for the well-being of others, if you would just wait till you feel better and then maybe come back to church, we would really, really appreciate that. And then could I just say a word to all of our elderly congregation, people that we love very dearly and many of which have been here forever. Uh, I say forever, but for a long time. How much we love our elderly congregational members. Thank you for your faithfulness and your love uh, for Woodland Baptist Church through the years. However, with that being said, I want to encourage all of our elderly members to please use great discretion and caution about coming back to church here. Uh, the last thing, you know, they, they tell us this COVID-19 can have uh, adverse effects on anybody regardless of their age. But the one thing that we've learned through this time of this pandemic is that it has certain, certain uh, a great uh, uh, dangerous effect on the elderly, uh, those who already have underlying health conditions or on elderly people in general. And we want you to be around here for a long time. As I said today, I think uh, some of our greatest days are in front of us here at this church. I believe that, and we want you here to be a part of that. So please use caution, extreme discretion, uh, whether you come back or not, we're not going to judge you, look down upon you. Nobody's going to say anything because if they do, I have different people in the congregation that has permission to walk up and slap people in the name of Jesus who talk about folks who aren't here. And uh, so nobody's going to talk about you. We're not going to think any less of you. If you choose to stay at home right now, we get that. We understand. You use extreme discretion and caution about coming back and we'll see you when things are better and, and safer. And, uh, but until then, you can join us on the live stream and just pray for us. And I just wanted to say that to all of our elderly people. Thank you so much for your patience. I do want to just say one more time, when you come in Sunday, probably you're not going to get the same seat that you've been accustomed to sitting in. But please don't let that upset you. Would you do this? Would you just think, think to yourself, man, I'm just glad to be back inside of church again. Amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful just to come? And, and if you have to sit up here in the choir or sit in the back or whatever, I don't think there's going to be a bad seat in the house Sunday. And if you can't sit where you normally have sat at for years and years and years, don't worry about it. 
Let's just be happy to be back at church and bear with us through this process. I know there's going to be some bumps and some hiccups along the ways, but we'll get things smoothed out over these next couple of weeks, and hopefully we won't have to do this long, and we can all be back together again real soon. Enough said about that. Let's read tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to begin reading verse 19 and just read the final four verses of this great book. Here's what Paul, how he concluded this letter. He said, Salute Prisca and Aquila. Now we know though that is Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, these were a husband and wife team and they were very close associates with the, the Apostle Paul. And so he tells Timothy, he said, now look, be sure to tell Priscilla and Aquila, be sure to tell them that old Paul said hello. And he also said the household of Anessa Forrest. This household was a very close household. Onesiphorus was a tremendous servant of the Apostle Paul. In fact, I think back in chapter 1, Paul actually mentioned how that he sought him out and often refreshed him in a time of his bonds. And thank God for people like Onesiphorus. They may not have a, a big name as far as you know, boy, everybody knows who they are, but they're just those servants of God who do what they can, laboring for the Lord and being a blessing to others. And then he talks about in verse 20, Erastus. And he said he abode at Corinth. And then in one of the greatest statements in all of the New Testament, Paul says this, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That is a mouthful right there because we know that Paul was an apostle. And these apostles had special apostolic abilities such as the ability to heal people that were sick. You know, Peter was an apostle, and the Bible said if he just walked down the street, his shadow could just fall on people and, and uh, people would be healed, miraculously healed. But now we seem to understand from this phrase here that those apostolic abilities, those apostolic gifts are now coming to a cessation. They're beginning to cease because here's an old boy that I'm sure if Paul would have had that ability at this time, Paul would have raised him up. But it seems that those apostolic special abilities were actually coming to a close as the New Testament was completed. Can I get an amen from somebody in here about that tonight? Isn't that the truth? I mean, here Paul said, I left old Trophimus. I left him over there at my lead him sick. And then he says this in verse 21, Do thy diligence to come before winter. And then he closes it like this, Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now I want to ask you to leave your Bibles open here to this text tonight as we conclude this uh, series of messages from the book of 2 Timothy. I've got one little thought that I want to lift out of these verses tonight and just close this book with that thought. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word? Thank you for the good music and singing and just the fellowship that we've had with those that are here. And then those that are listening or watching, as the case may be, thank you for letting us have a time of fellowship with them. Bless your word, we pray now, and speak to our hearts, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for the last 16 Wednesday evening services, we have been making our way through the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. I have called this entire series of messages a manual for maturity. And as we reach this closing chapter, Paul is now coming to the end of his earthly life. In his own words, Paul says this, The time of my departure is at hand. 
As I have said over these last two or three Wednesday evenings, Paul is getting ready to set sail from the harbor of time upon the seas of eternity, which will eventually bring him to the shores of glory. But before Paul does that, he sets down and he writes a final letter to his young son in the faith, his young protege, a man by the name of Timothy. Paul has led young Tim to the Lord on a previous visit to the area of Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and old Timothy got gloriously saved as a young man. When Paul made a second visit into that same area, the church was abuzz about this young man, this young disciple named Timothy. And Paul takes young Timothy under his wing, and as they say, the rest is history. You know, I've told you as we have read through this book and as we read through the writings of the Apostle Paul, what we're actually doing would be considered to be illegal in our day. You know, you can't go and open up somebody's mailbox and get their mail out and read their mail. And yet, as we have read this letter, what we're actually doing is just reading the mail of the Apostle Paul. This is a very personal and intimate letter between Paul and Timothy. Paul is writing to encourage young Timothy in the work of the Lord. But as I have told you, you and I know that there is more here than just meets the eye. Now, while it is true that this is an earthly letter, Letter, uh, written by earthly hands from one individual to another individual, it is also true that this is a heavenly letter that is written by the hand of Almighty God, written for you and for me. You see, we believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And being inspired makes the words of this letter all the more powerful, all the more pertinent, and all the more profitable for you and I as we live out these last days upon the earth. These words written by Paul to Timothy in the sweet by and by of yesterday are in reality the words written by God to us as we live out these days, these nasty now and now days of the present time. And for the last four weeks, we have been in the closing chapter of this great book. And as we have seen in this chapter, Paul has given Timothy some great words regarding of what to expect in the coming days. As Paul sits in this Mamertine prison facing death, he writes to Timothy and says, Okay, Timothy, this is how things are going to be going forward. And then he begins to talk about his time of departure. And as Paul talks about his impending death, he's not doing so as a bitter, angry, frustrated uh, man. Paul is not sitting in this prison airing out his grievances over how things have worked out in his life. Oh, but to the contrary, Paul is facing this time of death with great anticipation and joy. And in these closing verses, Paul gets very personal with young Timothy. And as we approach our text tonight, we read the last words of the last letter that Paul wrote. Now, I'm particularly interested in the phrase made there in verse number 21, where Paul says to Timothy, come before winter. You know, I told you previously, I guess maybe a couple of weeks ago, that as Paul sat in this prison, he has some needs. You know, evidently, when Paul's arrest came and his trial, all of that took place so quickly that Paul didn't have time to grab everything that he needed. So he asked young Timothy on his way over to see him to go by the home of Carpus there in Troas and pick up some essential things that he needed while he was there in jail. For instance, back in 13, uh, verse 13, he had some personal needs. He tells Timothy to bring the cloak. He needs something to keep him 
warm physically. Hey, Timothy, stop by Carpus's house over in Troas and get my cloak. It's cold in this prison. He has personal needs. Then he says, hey, be sure when you come to bring the books with thee because he has some mental needs. I find it amazing that here is Paul facing death. His time on earth is drawing to a near, to a close. He's at the end of the road, but he wants to keep learning. He wants to keep his mind sharp because he has some mental needs, some intellectual needs. Pick up the books when you come. But he said, verse 13, but especially the parchment. Paul has not only personal needs, he not only has intellectual needs, but he has some spiritual needs. And he said, Timothy, when you come, be sure to bring the parchments. The Bible is good enough to live by, and thank God the Bible is good enough to die by. Bring the book. Bring the parchments when you come with you. Timothy, I need that as I live out these last days. But then we come to understand from verse number 20 when he says, Do thy diligence to come before winter, that Paul not only has emotional needs, intellectual needs, spiritual needs, and physical needs, but he also has some social needs. He wants Timothy to come. He wants to see him one more time. Now, he's already made this appeal to Timothy back in verse number 9 of this chapter when he says to Timothy, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. And in that verse there, Paul said, Hey, I want you to drop everything now and come and be with me. But as we enter verse 21, we, we, we pick up on a sense of urgency from Paul's voice. It is no longer just a plea to drop everything and come. It is now, uh, this request is now made with a sense of great urgency. Timothy, if you're coming, you have got to come before winter. Now, why did Paul say to Timothy, come before winter? Well, there's a reason behind that request. And of course, Paul, and I'm sure Timothy, would be aware of that reason. You see, Paul is in the city of Rome, sitting in the Mamertine jail, getting ready to die. Timothy is still without doubt located in the city of Ephesus. And the one thing that separates Ephesus from the city of Rome is the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul understands that if Timothy don't come before winter, that he'll not be able to come until the springtime comes again. You see, in the winter season, the shipping lanes in the Mediterranean were shut down because of the fierce storms and the crosswinds that blew during the time of the winter. Sailing was not safe to cross the Mediterranean in that winter season. In fact, you may remember in Acts 27, when Paul was on his way to Rome, they set sail in the wintertime, and they were headed over to Rome, and they got involved. They got caught up in this terrible storm by the name of Eurocladon. And for 14 days, they saw neither the sun, the moon, nor the stars, and eventually the ship ran ashore, was broken up by the waves, and people made it safely to an island called Melita, some on boards and others on broken pieces of the ship. You see, wintertime was a very dangerous time for sailing, so they shut the shipping lanes down during that time of the year. So Paul is saying, Timothy, if you don't get here before winter, you'll not be able to come until springtime. And it may be too late. Drop everything, Timothy, and come before winter. And as we look at this text tonight, we, we kind of understand from that phrase, come before winter. I think in reality what Paul is doing is telling us there's some things you need to drop everything and do with a sense of real urgency. Come before 
winter. Now, I, what I'd like to do tonight is just take those three words, come before winter, and I'd like to present three truths from this passage, from this text regarding this great statement. But if you'll permit me, I'd like to back my way into it. Instead of come before winter, I would like to use the word winter and before and then the word come for the message tonight. First of all, let's think about that word winter. It speaks to us of life's brevities, the, the brevity of life. The word, remit, the word winter reminds us of how brief that our lives really are. Now, of course, winter is one of the seasons of the year. We know that our year goes through a cycle of four different seasons. There is springtime. Springtime is when the earth begins to blossom and bring forth new life. Springtime, the grass begins to grow and turn green. Springtime is the time when the flowers begin to bloom and blossom. The trees begin to blood, bud and there's new life in the air. The chirping of the birds and the fluttering of the butterflies. The spring showers that bring the May flowers. It's springtime and everything is celebrating new life and freshness. But then we know that springtime Time morphs into summertime, the hazy, lazy days of summer. You know, around here, the humidity gets so high when you step outside in just a few minutes, you're wringing wet with sweat. You try to mow your yards, you make one round, you have to stop for a Kool-Aid break because it's so hot. The hot days come of summer. It gets so hot till the, uh, the cows start giving evaporated milk. It's so hot around here that the farmers have to give their chickens ice to keep them from laying hard eggs. It's so hot around here that when the dogs chase the cat, they both walk. It's real hot because springtime morphs into summertime. But then we know summertime becomes fall. The days begin to get shorter. The leaves start changing. God pours out his paint upon the trees of the earth in brilliant reds and oranges and yellows. The temperatures begin to fall and you wake up in the morning and there's a chill in the air. There's the festivals and all the activities of the fall. The leaves fall off the trees and you rake and you rake and you rake. But then we know that Fall then becomes winter. The winds begin to blow and the chill and the cold rains of fall turns into the ice and the snow of winter. You have to get up early and scrape the frost off your windshield before you leave for work every morning. There's frost all around. And then, of course, things begin to die. The grass becomes as brown as death. The flowers that once were so beautiful just a short time ago have now shriveled and they're gone. The trees are barren and the ground becomes frozen. That's the four cycles of the year. But if you stop and think about that, those four cycles of the year really represent the parable, a parable for the brevity of life. You start think, stop and think about it. There's springtime in the life of an individual. You're young and you're full of life. You fill mason jars full of lightning bugs at night. You run and you run and you run. You ride your bikes and play from sunup till sundown without a care in the world. There's no bills to pay. And most of your troubles can be fixed with just one trip to the candy store. Oh, I miss those days when I could take my children with all of their troubles and all of their heartaches and their tears, but I could take them by the store and get them a bar of candy or two and it would fix every problem in their life. 
In the springtime, time goes by so slow. It's like the pace of a snail. It's springtime. You're young, you're fresh, you're strength, you're vigor, and you're full of vitality. It's springtime. But then springtime morphs into summer. You're a young person. You can't wait till you get those driver's license. Then, of course, you can't wait till you can finally go out on a date. You can't wait till you finally get to hang out with some of your friends. There's a certain feeling of independence that comes along about this time of life. And then you meet that right person. That special day comes in your life. You get a good job. You buy a house and maybe a car or two. And you can't wait. The doctor says a baby's on the way. It's springtime. And things are going wonderful in your life. But then springtime and summertime becomes fall. You know, you get to noticing that there's things are changing a little bit in your body. You know, the, you get tired a little bit faster than you used to. You find yourself a little bit un, uneasy as you climb a ladder. There are things that you used to do that you wouldn't dream of doing now. You're not as strong as you used to be. You can't see as good as you used to could. You can't hear as good as you used to could hear. Fall has now become, uh, summer has now become fall in your life. You know, somebody once said this, that the 40s are the youth, or, or the old age of youth, and the 50s are the youth of old age. There you are. Out of nowhere, fall has come, and life picks up its pace, trotting along. Then before you know it, winter has set in. Life is now at a gallop. Things don't work at all like they used to. The icy cold hands of death are beginning to squeeze the life right out of you. The winter winds are blowing. Can't you hear them? And the snows are beginning to fall. And ladies and gentlemen, your life is coming to a close. Someone once asked an elderly man in his opinion, what was the greatest surprise about life? And his answer was, how short life is. You know, somebody once said you can sum up life in only seven words. There's the word spills. That's what you do when you're a child, knocking the milk over, the Kool-Aid over at the table, the Mountain Dew and the Pepsi. But the spills turn into the drills. You go off to school and start going through all those drills as those things are put in your mind. Then you hit those teenage years and it's all about the thrills. And man, you're beginning to grow your own set of wings. And then the, the thrills turn to the bills because you get married and, and you have all those bills to pay. And then the bills turn into the, to the eels and things start breaking down in your body. And then the eels turn to the pills. You got to have a pill to operate. And then the pills become the wheels, but from the spills to the wheels is just a short time in life. The Bible says of life these words, James 4.14, life is like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanish, vanishes away. Somebody's once said it's the tender 20s, the tireless 30s, the fiery 40s, the forceful 50s, the soaring 60s, the sagging 70s, the aching 80s, the nagging 90s, and then it's death, sod, and God. And life is over. Boy, this is a depressing message tonight, ain't it? Boy, aren't you glad you come to church tonight on Wednesday night? Aren't you glad that you're not watching gun smoke right now? The preacher is talking about the brevity of life. Winter, 
speaks to us of the brevity, the brevities. But then we move from the word winter, we back now into the word before. You see, if winter speaks to us of life's brevities, then the word before speaks to us of life's opportunities. You see, Paul said there are some things that we should do before winter. I mean, while we can do them, we need to do them before death comes. Now, we know even today, you know, we're in the month of May. By the way, it's been chilly this week. And uh, we're in the month of May, and we're getting ready to head into those hot, hazy days of summer. But I promise you this, it won't be long till those leaves that are now green on the trees will begin to turn brown or orange or red, and it won't be long until they begin to turn loose, and it won't be long until winter has once again set in. The smoke will begin to rise out of the chimneys, the barrenness on the tree limbs as the trees have turned loose of their leaves. There'll be a blanket of frost each morning as we rise. Oh, yeah, winter time is coming. We know by experience that death is on its way. But I'll tell you, bless your heart, there's some things we better do, we better take care of before the cold winds of death, winter, begin to blow in our lives. Today, this day, is the op, op day of opportunity. There's some things we can't do after death has come. There are some things we must do before winter comes. Take advantage of the opportunities that we have today. Take advantage of the opportunities while we have time to take advantage of those opportunities. There may be some sitting here or watching today and you look back over the opportunities of life that you've missed and they're nothing more than tombstones in the graveyard of what might have been. It's too late. You can't go back. But thank God we've got today and understand one thing. Life is very short. Hey, but it's not too late to do some things that we need to take care of. Hey, could I walk around for just a few minutes in your heart for just a minute? And could I just mention some things that we ought to do before winter comes, before death comes? You know, I think we ought to just spend some time expressing our love to our families while we have the time to do that. You know, I think too many times we pass through life without telling the people that we love the most how much we really love them and appreciate them. I think about that, how that's true with our spouses. Boy, we ought to let our spouses know every day of our life how much we love them and how much we think about them. We ought to let them know how much we appreciate all that they do for us. We husbands ought to be constantly in the habit of telling our wives how much we love them and how much we think about them. By the way, if you don't do it, the devil will have somebody that will do it. Amen, preacher. And I tell you what, I think they ought to hear it from us first. If they hear it from us first, it's just old news when they go to Walmart and hear it over there. Can I have an amen? Yes, sir. I'll tell you something. There's something on the inside of every one of us that likes to hear a little bit of how much you're appreciated from time to time, how much you're loved from time to time. And if you don't hear it from, from, where, from the right source, the devil will have somebody to tell it to you, and it'll be the wrong source. You ever notice on a bright summer night, on a hot summer night, and you're going to go off and you won't be back until after it's dark, and so you leave your porch light on, and, and by the time you get home, every bug in the county is sitting on the door waiting for you to open it when you got back home. You know what happened? Those bugs were drawn to the heat 
of that light. And they're just sitting there on that door basking in the heat. Oh, it feels so good. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? There's something about all of us that we love to hear how much we are loved and how much we are appreciated. I mean, let's face it, we don't do what we do to be loved or appreciated. But I don't know about you, but bless your heart, I like to hear it once in a while from my wife. I like for her to tell me once in a while that I'm the grape jelly on her peanut butter sandwich. I like to hear that. I really do. Ladies and gentlemen, I like for her to hear that from me. But if she don't hear it from me and she hears it from somebody else, just like that bug drawn to that light, my wife may be drawn to a different light somewhere unless I'm in the habit of telling her that. And she says when she hears it from somebody else, that's old news. My old man at home tells me all the time. Amen. Well, moving right along. Hey, brother, we ought to tell our families i tell you, we ought to be in the habit of telling our kids how much we appreciate them. i tell you what, bless your heart, if you've never had to go down to the jail and bail your kids out of jail, if you've never had to go get them out of the hospital where they fried their brains on some, on some bad drugs, if you've never had to go get them from a DUI situation, if you've never had to go to a hospital and uh, celebrate with your child the birth of an illegitimate baby, if your kids have tried to do what's right, ladies and gentlemen, instead of always being down on them, we ought to tell them every once in a while how much we love them and appreciate our kids for being and the children that they are. Amen and amen. And what about the children telling the parents how much they appreciate them? Brother, I'll tell you, your mom and daddy don't have to give you a bed to lay down in at night. You can sleep in a sleeping bag out in the barn. They don't have to feed you those good things like Doritos and Viennese sausages and potted meat. They don't have to put those yoo-hoos in the refrigerator for you. They didn't have to get you a car to drive when you're 16 years old. They didn't have to get you those brand, brand name shoes and, and designer clothes. They didn't have to do those things, but they did it, and they worked long hours, and they labored to supply for your need. And I think, bless your heart, every once in a while, there ought to be enough about you to go to your mom and daddy and say, thank you for being the good parents that you are. You better do that, because death will come someday. I have a preacher friend over in the state of Tennessee, and he tells this story, uh, to told me this story, and he said he uh, had a couple of members of his that was in this one rest home. And uh, he said, so in the habit of going to the rest home to visit his, to visit his uh, members that were there, he said he got to noticing that when he walked into the uh, rest home, there was always a blind lady sitting there, and when the door come open, the blind lady would say, Jimmy, Jimmy. And he would just walk on by, but he said every time he come, he said that blind lady was sitting there and, when she heard the screech of the door open, she'd say, Jimmy, Jimmy. So one day he stopped and he asked a nurse there about that. And he said, well, the nurse said, well, what it is is every morning since she has us to roll, us, roll her up there to the front door. And she said every time she hears that door open, she thinks it's her boy Jimmy coming to see her. And the preacher said to the nurse, he said to well, Jimmy must live a long way off from here. She said, no. She said he lives about 10 or 15 minutes from here, but he never has time to come by and see his mama. Well, the preacher got to know the lady, and in the process of time, she died. And when she died, he had to do her funeral, and he said today they rolled her casket into her church. One of her, her old boy come walking in behind her saying, Mama! Mama! But it's too late. 
when death comes, boy, we ought to be in the habit. We ought to be in the constant routine of telling others how much we think about them. I think that's true in a church setting. Boy, I think every once in a while here in a church, somebody's been a blessing to them. You ought to go to them, hand them a bowl of, hand them a bottle of hand sanitizer, and just say, I just want to tell you how much I love you. Amen. I think it wouldn't hurt a bit every once in a while if maybe right during the service when the choir starts singing, I'll meet you in the morning. I think if somebody's been a blessing, you ought to just, I mean right in the middle of the service, just go up to them and say, hey, thank you for being, thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for helping my family out during the tough time. Thank you for praying for me and seeing me through the hard times of life. Better do that. You know why? The winter chilly winds will blow and one day you'll not have the opportunity to. I think about how that's true in the area of faithfulness. I think about how people all the time say, you know, preacher, I know I'm not as faithful as I ought to, but one of these days I'm going to get around to that being faithful. One of these days, I, I really am. Preacher, if you don't understand right now, the kids, they're playing ball here and playing ball there, and I'm working 60 hours a week, and I've only got Saturday and Sunday to relax, and, and I'll drag in on Sunday morning, but I tell you, preacher, it's just hard. I need to spend some time with my family. I'm going to get faithful one of these days when life kind of calms down. And yet the cold winter winds begin to blow. And before you can ever nail down faithfulness to the house of God, ladies and gentlemen, death has slipped its icy fingers around your neck and you missed the opportunity to really make your life count for God. Oh, brother, the word before speaks about the opportunities of life. But I want to back now into that word, the word come, which speaks to me of the necessities of life. Paul said, Timothy, come before winter. I want to see you. Timothy, I'm inviting you to come. I need you, Timothy. Don't wait. Drop everything and come and see me. Well, you say, preacher, what happened? Well, I really don't know what happened. But can I just borrow your mind for just a moment? And just as I close tonight, give you two possible scenarios. Maybe when Timothy got this letter and read those words, hey, Timothy, do thy diligence. Timothy, drop everything. Timothy, lay everything aside. Timothy, you've got to come before winter. I'd like to think that old Timothy did just that. He laid aside all of his work. He called all the preachers that had him scheduled for revival meetings and said, I'm sorry, I'll not be able to come. I've got to go see my, my daddy, my father in the faith. I've got to go see the man who led me to Jesus. He's in a time of great need. I've got to go. And he swung by old Troas over there, went by Carpus's house, and he picked up that cloak and those books and the Bible, and he went by old John Mark's house and grabbed him and said, Mark, Mark Paul has sent for us. We've got to go. And I'd like to think that before Paul died, that Timothy walked into that prison cell. They hugged necks and wept together and spent some great last hours together before old Paul was put to death. That's what I'd like to think. But you know, if Timothy was like a lot of us, this, this is the way it probably played out. Timothy got the letter. Do thy diligence, Paul. 
Uh, Timothy, come quickly. Drop everything. Cancel everything. Get over here before it gets winter. Don't come in the springtime. It may be too late. And Timothy probably said, Well, I wished I could, but I got this meeting coming up over here at the First Baptist Church. And, and I've got to finish writing this book that I'm writing right now. And, and I've got some other visits and calls that I need to make. I'll get over there eventually. I'll go by on my way uh, to see Paul. I'll go by Carpus's house in Troas. I'll get what he needs. I'll grab Mark. I'll get it all done. But there's just no hurry about it. And in and, and, and this process of neglect and delay, wintertime came. The shipping lanes closed on the Mediterranean and didn't open back up till springtime. And Timothy hurries down in the springtime with Mark and a cloak and, and some books and the parchments and he heads off to Rome and he gets there, gets in the prison, walks in and says, I'm here to see the Apostle Paul, the man who led me to Jesus. And they said, Timothy, you're too late. Timothy Paul was put to death a few months ago, but just want to tell you that every time the prison door opened, he thought it was you. Every time somebody new came in, he thought it was you. But you didn't make it. But he wanted me to be sure to tell you how much he loved you before he died. There are some things you and I will not be able to do when death's chilly hands slips around our neck. We better take care of them before winter. Let's bow our heads for prayer.